0: morning, y'all. Can we give it up for Cassie again? That was a long text. All right, if you've got that Bible, keep it open to Acts chapter 2. First off, before we even move any farther, parents, you're killing it right now. Way to go. Hey, kiddos, you guys are doing amazing. Way to go. Hey, if you're a parent and you're not used to the family-style church deal... Uh, know that wiggles, giggles, totally fine, and it does not bother anybody except you. We love this. We are family here. Uh, if, you know, you want it, there's a room right in the back where you can catch a little video of what's going on here. But I like the kids here in the room. That's why I have a microphone. I can talk over them, so don't worry about them. You're doing great. You hey, Steve. To giving me time yeah, We're super fun. I, mean. I know. I was like, I ran through my intro. Right so I I moved your music sheets, but I'm... Um, I'm hoping the wind doesn't (laughs) come. They all (laughs) out of order? Mixing them (laughs) up. Yeah. (laughs) Worse that. Yeah, no doubt. Well, hey, if you don't know either one of us, I'm Bert. This is Steve. I hope Lee M. How to Kill. Oh, sorry. I know. That's an inside joke. We have to talk in front of people today. Go ahead. I hope Lee Anthony Ventura, Steve. Help we'll lead Arise Entura. What do we do in summer, man? I'm excited that we're get, we're gathering together. Um, really, not just showcasing unity, but honestly, like centering our hearts at the very same time for the very same thing. I feel like God has uh, just clearly called both of us to to the place of saying we want to revisit and rethink everything that we're doing as churches and as the church in Ventura. So. This is just a good moment for us, and I'm looking forward to the next couple months. So over, yeah, the next couple months throughout the summertime, you're going to be seeing a lot of different people here. Uh, you're going to be not only hearing from Steve and I, as we slipped off teaching together. Uh, you're going to be seeing uh, our different elder couples kind of posting you guys, separating moments. You're going to see different uh, members of the worship team, the tech team cycle through. We're basically stacking hands wherever we can so it's going to be fun summer and i would just encourage you i know sherry mentioned it earlier i would encourage you if there's someone you don't know uh okay. take it upon yourself to get to know them there might be someone from another church that you don't know but also both our churches are very different churches than we were a year ago that's true we've learned people who've left who've moved who've welcomed new people in the family there are those of you who've actually never been in a big gathering we have only kind of engaged with us a little bit on Zoom or in backyards or doing a small thing. And so if you don't know someone, take it upon yourself to go and get to know them. Sure. So we're going to be spending the summer in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, like Cassie was reading for us, seems to be this really pivotal moment for the church where the first bit of form starts to take shape. And we are honing in on this key word, which is, anyone know? Devoted. Way to go. We are honing in on that keyword, what was the church devoted to in and out of season, no matter the time, the place, the politics, the culture, what was and what is the church devoted to no matter what. We're doing this series because after quite a disruptive year, we're taking uh, this summer to reorient ourselves like Steve was saying around what it is that God is asking us to do. Now, one of the things... This global pandemic has done for our churches, and just about every church I've ever I've come into contact with over the last year, is it has exposed a lack of discipleship. How do I know? All it took is one little global pandemic, and every church I know sunk by half. Now, Some of it was a slow bleed, people ghosting, people moving, people slowly fading into the background, and some of it was the immediacy. This is too hard. This is too hard. It's too hard to engage. I'm isolated. I'm lonely. I feel disconnected, disengaged. I don't have the tools to do this without this. Now, Steve and I and the rest of our elder teams looked at that moment with some despair, but also, I think, an opportunity. As we're coming out of the season and coming into a new season, to go, how do we actually... Build churches. How do we actually lead into a moment, lead into a future church where a global pandemic does not affect us? How do we do that? Because if I'm being honest, our church is getting a 50% of that. And some of us are out of school for a little while. 50% is what kind of grade? Yeah, that's enough. That's not great. It's not great. we see it as an opportunity to build back something different. That's some of the why. Why you're stacking your own chair, bringing your own coffee. Why we're doing family style. We're intentionally doing simple gatherings here. We want to make sure the stuff we're building back is the stuff that God is asking of us. One of the questions I ask my church quite a bit is where are we looking for the kingdom without the king? Meaning... What are we, where are we looking for attributes or benefits or features of life without God, without God himself? We ask this all the time. Because all the time we are searching for things that Jesus promises to deliver to us when we make this end run around Jesus. It's easy to point that question to like those out there. Like, where's our world searching for the things of the kingdom without the king? But I think what we have this summer is an opportunity to actually look inward a bit and go, where are we as the church, as Jesus' followers, looking for the things of the kingdom without the king? What if we were so bold to ask that question of ourselves? I think a few things come to mind, especially taking into account the, uh, the moments that we've had in culture over the last year and a half, We've not only had a global pandemic, we've had an election that was, might I say, contentious. We've had uh, a few moments where racial injustice and reconciliation has come to the forefront. I could go on and on. And in all of these, it's elevated these moments where we have been looking for the things of Jesus without Jesus himself. We've been looking for unity without Jesus. And unity without Jesus looks like, Glossing over differences rather than genuinely caring and sacrificing for one another. We've been looking for diversity without Jesus. The diversity without Jesus is just tokenism rather than legitimate reconciliation. We've been looking for justice without Jesus. Justice without Jesus is virtue signaling and say, I'm good, look at me, I'm in the right camp, I believe the right thing, rather than genuine sacrificial love. Real justice will cost you something. We've been looking for this life full of gladness, satisfaction, purpose, meaning, and all of those things, like Jesus says in John chapter 4 to the woman at the well, those are leaky wells, things that will let you down. If you're looking for satisfaction in that new car and a full bank account, and kids that behave and do their thing, And having your time be your time and your vacation, whatever that thing is, those are leaky wells. Versus satisfaction in Jesus is eternal living water that satisfies and never runs dry. Here's the truth. In all of us, we're looking for a version of utopia. Something to be made right. The world to be as it should be. I don't know what that looks like for you in a world where everyone drives electric cars and recycles. In in a world where everybody gets along and no one has any differences. In a world where there is no poor, there is no rich. Whatever that thing looks like for you, we're all looking for it. We all have this hurt sense of injustice in us. We look around our beautiful, amazing city and we know something is missing. We want that world, we want that kingdom without going to the one who promises life, and life to the full. Who promises our ultimate good. Who promises redemption and restoration of all creation. You want to know why we as Christians have had a hard time this year? It's because we're looking to things other than Jesus. Jesus never promises ease and comfort. We should actually expect it. Peter says we should expect this fiery trials. This is why we're doing this series. Because as we're cuddling back together, discerning, hearing from the Holy Spirit, praying, planning, strategizing about what is next for our two churches, we want to make sure we are building on a secure and solid foundation. Not like the sand that washes out and changes with time, but the solid rock is Jesus. So that's why we're starting with the most fundamental thing that we can be devoted to is Jesus himself. That's it. That's what our kids have learned. And if you take nothing else away from the day today or what Steve's about to say, take that away. We as a church are laying the foundation to being devoted to Jesus. If you pray with me real quick. Father, would you help us in this? Holy Spirit, we pray that you would work the way that only no. you can but it is not a behavior modification, but true heart transformation that comes by the way of um, us being filled with your presence and empowered by you, just as we saw and heard as Cassie And Now, as we turn to your word, God, we are confident that that is how you change us, you transform our hearts. And so, would you speak to us, speak to each of our individual hearts by the way that only you can, whispering directly to us, talk to our consciences, Lord, and also speak to us as a church. We want to be united even in our our hearts, uh, contrition and uh, calling back to you. So, would you just help us, Lord, and and We invite you in this moment. Send your Son, Lord Jesus' name that we pray because we know that we can ask for anything in his name and he'll do it. Amen. Amen. As Cassie opened up the story for us and even as Bert is opening up for us the series, what I think we need to understand about what took place between the first two chapters of the book of Acts is that Uh, everything was being connected back to the Son of God, to the Lord Jesus, and to the story of God, the story of redemption. That what you see at Pentecost is that following the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ, Peter calls everyone to Understanding that this is the fulfillment of what you've always longed for. Of all the things, all the kingdom things, all of the desires that your heart has been set on from the beginning, this is the fulfillment of that. They had long since desired a king. They wanted a king just like everyone else. They wanted a king like all the other nations. They wanted that king to provide them safety from other nations. They wanted salvation. They wanted freedom from exile. They wanted freedom from slavery. They wanted justice. They wanted fairness. They wanted goodness. They wanted to be known as the people of God. They wanted power. They had long since wanted all those things. And they had experienced shadows and brief expressions. And in their experience of those things, it had always come to an end. And so the desire lingered. As they experienced those brief expressions, what they had really longed for was what you and I longed for. It's eternity. Have you ever thought about the fact that You and I are created as eternal people. That even at death, that's not the end. But the eternal God has created us. And Solomon said, God made everything beautiful in its time. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And yet also he has put eternity into man's hearts. But even though he did that, people can't see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. God put eternity into your heart and into my heart, and so we longed for that. The people of God, the nation of Israel, had longed, and they thought that they could receive it in all these temporal means, and it always faded away. And so Peter's sermon, that was a lot that Cassie read, but I hope you follow that Peter's sermon from chapter 2 was connecting everything back to the story of redemption, bringing life to the eternal significance and the eternal promises of God. And he does so by highlighting that they had this longing, that they had this deep-seated desire for eternal salvation, if you're taking notes, for eternal security, and for an eternal kingdom. They wanted these things. You and I want these things. You want eternal salvation. You want eternal security. You want there to be an eternal kingdom where everything is right, it's just, it's fair, it's good, it's beautiful, it's paradise. They have wanted these things. And so he directed them back to say that in Jesus, it's actually all been fulfilled. And you have unawaringly pursued the kingdom without pursuing the You've gone for these things, but you haven't realized who it's all about. In verses 14 to 21, when, when Peter first started, he said, these people are not drunk. It's only, it's, it's not a talk in the morning. Somebody said amen to that, right? He just appealing to logic. They're not drunk yet. That's not what's happening here. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And what you have in verses 17 all the way down to 21 is a word-for-word quotation from Joel chapter 2. Something that had been told to the nation hundreds of years prior. Something that they had always heard of and longed for. And he said, it's been fulfilled, but it's fulfilled in Jesus. Now what was Joel saying? In the last days it shall be that God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, not just one people, not just one tribe, not just one nation. I'll pour out my spirit on all mankind. He's saying that the outpouring of the spirit is connected with the eternal salvation that you want. The salvation you're looking for is actually going to come to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now, Peter, you've got to remember, is with the rest of the 11, and they've actually received the gift of the Holy Spirit prior to this, and what happened? They looked around, and they realized, wait a minute, Jesus' last words to us was that we were going to receive power, and we were going to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. So it's no wonder that Out of all of the books he could have pulled, he went to to Joel chapter 2 and said, this is the fulfillment that God's going to bring and pour out his spirit on all people and bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That a new age had arrived or arrived. The last days have been inaugurated. He's saying, this is the fulfillment that today uh, in your hearing you'll see that. Take one of the key things. When you think about the longing for salvation, he says, and God had said even hundreds of years before, that salvation, eternal salvation, is available to all who call on the name of the Lord. That's why we take time to talk to the kids up here. That's why uh, we spend time to work through centering the message on a big gospel call in a Cross-centered in a Jesus-focused proclamation because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, it doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter where you've from, will be saved. And he said, for all who call on the name of the Lord, that's quoted numerous times over the New Testament. Some of us know Romans chapter 10, and you know it by heart. is all who call on the name of the Lord, and it's told to us multiple times that the name of the Lord is actually conferred on Jesus. Yeshua, which means is salvation, which means the deliverer. So the, the name of the Lord, even in the name of Jesus, there is salvation. You think about Matthew 121, and they will call his name Yeshua. They will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You've been looking for eternal salvation, and you can't find that in politics. You've been looking for eternal salvation. You won't find that in resources, in money, in power, in respect, in fame. You won't find that in comfort. You've been looking for eternal salvation, even in your religion, Peter says. But you missed the point. It's in Jesus. He quotes Psalm chapter 16, and he talks about eternal security. In Psalm 16, actually, it's directly quoted in verses 25 to 28 in chapter 2. And it tells us the Lord is always before me. Always. Not sometimes. Not used to be. Not will be. The Lord is always before me. That's eternal security. He said he is at my right hand. Not he was at my right hand. That's eternal security. He said my flesh will dwell. My flesh will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades. You will not let your Holy One see." Corruption, eternal security. And you know what Peter said? Look down at your Bibles. Brothers, verse 29 says, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. David longed for all of this eternal security. David died and he was dead to this day, is what he said. He said the fulfillment of this is Jesus. He even calls David a prophet and said he was speaking and foretelling us about who? About Jesus. Eternal security is eternal life. That's what we want. That's what we desire. And it only comes through the resurrection, not just that you and I are raised because we will be, but that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. So you want eternal salvation? you want eternal security, they're found in Jesus. And guess what? You've always wanted an eternal kingdom. You want to study verses 32 to 35. It just talks about David being, uh, you know, in his psalm from Psalm 110. And hence of 2 Samuel chapter 7 and from Isaiah chapter 16. All these things that essentially told us that there was a promise that was given to David that his throne would never cease and there would be one who rules on it forever. There was a promise from God. That's an eternal kingdom. That's where justice reigns for all times. And there's always goodness. And guess what? And guess who? That is fulfilled in. Can y'all say it? It's in Jesus. Jesus is also called the son of David. You look at Matthew's genealogy in chapter 1, where I just read from a second ago in verse 21. The first thing that you see, as soon as the Gospels open up, Matthew 1, verse 1, that Jesus came from and is son of David, from David's family line. Here's a point. As we talk about being devoted and as we desire devotion, as you maybe even think about your morning devotion, we need to remember that if we devote ourselves to Christ, all those other things come to fruition and All that other stuff falls in place when we devote ourselves to Jesus. We don't devote ourselves to justice without devoting ourselves to Jesus. We don't even deserve, devote ourselves to prayer. I know people who pray ten times more than you do, and they don't devote themselves to Jesus. And so the words are utter, but the word of God tells us that it hits the seal and it comes back down there's no fruit in it because their heart is not devoted to Jesus. We don't devote ourselves to fellowship just so that we can party and partner with each other. We devote ourselves to Jesus. If we, if, if we devote ourselves to Christ, then everything else falls into place. And I think as we go, For Peter, Jesus brought salvation and blessing, both present and future. And that meant something, and we saw the fruit of something. But for us today, oftentimes we can sit back and say, yeah, well, I get that. He's just not as good as they ought to be. I wish it was like it was back then. So we want to fight that. So I got the bad news. He's got all the good news today, I've got the bad news today. Because I want to tell you about the primary danger that will come out of anchoring ourselves in the steps for the next few weeks. You guys ready? Idealism. There's a danger in what we're talking about. It's idealism. I hear people all the time. And you say to excuse uh, to excuse some lack of commitment, right? To say, oh, I just wanna I just want to be like the early church. You ever heard that? We're trying to do that. It's not a bad thing in and of itself. Have you actually read about the early church? Do you actually want to give all your stuff away? I don't know about that. You know, the early church are people killed for lying to the leaders of the church. Holy Spirit strikes them down right in the middle of the service. I don't know if you want to be part of that early church. Persecution. I'm not talking about masks or indoor gatherings. I'm talking about being killed because you're claiming Jesus to be like the early church? It's not wrong to want to be like the early church, but where we miss what Jesus is doing is when we idealize that and demand perfection from imperfect people and use that as an excuse to pull away from the table. When we Demand perfection from the imperfect, and we take on Jesus' job to build the church is where we get into trouble. I'm going to read to you a quote from one of his most famous books. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor, author, during Nazi Germany, created this little hub of form- formative Christian community to combat the dangers of Nazism in Germany. That's a long quote, to track with me. He talks about the dangers of idealism in the church. He says, quote, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. Even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial, God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idolized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands set up by their own law, and judge one another and God accordingly. It is not we who build. Christ builds the church. Whoever is mindful to build the church is surely well on the way to destroying it, for he will build a temple to idols without wishing or knowing them. We must confess, he builds. We must proclaim, he builds. We must pray to him, and he will build. We do not know his plan. We cannot see whether he is building or pulling down. It may be that the times which by human standards are the times of collapse are for him the great times of construction. It may be at the times which from a human point are great times to the church are times when it's pulled down. It's a great comfort which Jesus gives to his church. You confess, preach, bear witness to me, and I alone will build where it pleases me. Do not meddle in what is not your province. Do what is given to you. Do it well, and you have done enough. Live together in the forgiveness of your sins. Forgive each other every day from the bottom of your hearts. I want you to notice just a couple of things about it. The dangers of idealism confuses us. When things seem to be going well by human standards, Jesus may actually be pulling it together. You guys have been listening to the podcast Steve and I have been doing as kind of a side hustle throughout the spring and the summertime, unearthing and unpacking some of the things we've been learning along the way. What we've seen is human metrics of attendance of a full bank account of whatever influence, prominence, social media savvy, maybe those are the things Jesus doesn't care quite so much about. And in fact, he might be pulling the church down. But in the times when it seems by human standards the church is falling apart, maybe those great times, construction reconstruction, or re-reconstruction, Now, I believe, I sense it for our churches that there may be a lot of human standards out there. This church is doing well. This church is not doing well. The number one, I hate this question, the number one question pastors get. Say, oh, you're a pastor. What's the question? You know what it is. How big is the church? What if that's not the thing Jesus is asking us to care about? But what if in this time, Everything has been stripped away. We're doing simple gatherings. We're getting down to basics. What if this was the moment that Jesus is building something? Something for this new season. Something for the months and years and decades ahead. Something that will meet the moment that we're in and not trying to fit a 1980s model into 2021. What if God's on about something? Let's check our idealism at the door. So if empty and harmful idealism is not our aim, what is our aim? Our aim is devotion. Devotion. The phrase in Acts 2.42, and it's an, in original language, it's this ongoing presence not a one-time deal, It's they continually devoting themselves. They were fighting for one another, steadfastly attentive to one another, giving unremitted care to each other to continue all the time in this place. When you're devoted, you're resilient. Stuff doesn't shake that. If you're truly devoted, stuff doesn't shake that devotion. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, to set your hope fully on Jesus. And he's going to go on to say in the rest of 1 Peter, there's going to be lots of things that will try to take you off that goal, to set your heart fully on Jesus resiliency, this kind of devotion carries you through the ups and downs of the changing times and places and methods. Think about the things you are devoted to in life. Barry was asking that of the kids. Legos, snacks, candy, not that bad, good things. What are you devoted to? The spouse, the kids maybe, your favorite sports teams, a particular hobby, that's not bad. Those are neutral things, right? Until they become God things. But well, what are you devoted to? Think about maybe that sports team you're devoted to. I'm going to let the cat, let the cat out of the back here. I'm going to out myself because we're having a great year. I'm from the Bay Area. I'm a massive tennis fan. This is a sweet year for us. I'm looking at you, Matt. It's a good year for us. But you know what? I don't only like them when they're having a dynamite year like they are in 2012. I like them when they've blown it for the last eight years. To follow them, what's you follow a baseball team? They're not doing so well. Would you say it's a, it's a rebuilding year? It's rebuilding year. We got some new, got some new. You guys up from the farm—it's a rebuilding here. I'm devoted. I'm committed. I'm still watching the games where I know they're going to lose. I'm devoted. They're losing. Their failure does not shaking my devotion. I don't hop on another bandwagon because they're doing better. Think about your favorite stores, your favorite restaurants that maybe you've, I feel like I've kept Prospect alive during COVID. Like, think about those places. It doesn't matter if they have indoor, outdoor, or no seating. Like, I'm committed to this place. I'm going to make sure they're still here. What Peter says, set your hope fully on Jesus. This is what he's getting at. No matter what. When Luke describes the disciples that they were devoted first and foremost to Christ, no matter, you read the book of Acts, things are going to get a little dicey for the early church. The devotion continues. The early disciples were devoted to all these things that we see, the apostles' teaching, community, meals together, communion, prayer, worship, generosity, all these things because first and foremost they were devoted to Christ. All those things that we're going to talk about for the next nine weeks, are a means to an end. Community is not the end. Jesus is the end. Generosity, the Bible, is not the end. It's a means to an end. And the end is Jesus himself. We idolize the method and we forget about the name. Big church, house church, program church, simple church, Small groups, no small groups, Sunday service, music, sermons, whatever. It's about Jesus. That's what we're getting at today. It It is all about Jesus. Jesus. We're devoted to a lot of silly things in our life. The truth is, we make time for what's important. So part of today is a bit of an invitation. As we're setting our course, as we're charting this course, as two churches coming together, we're charting our course towards Jesus. This means we prioritize Jesus, we make time for Jesus, we engage with Jesus. He's not the afterthought, he's not the one hour Sunday thing. He's everything. He is our lives. We're devoted, even when it's hard, even when it's frustrating, even when I'm reading parts of the Bible I don't understand. We're devoting ourselves to Jesus. This is the model we have here in Scripture. Goodness for them, goodness for us. I want to close with giving us that invitation, but I don't want us to miss the, the real truth about it. Anytime there is an extension of grace and an invitation, um, there is also usually challenge. Challenge. of Acts chapter 1 and into chapter 2 and the birth of the early church happens in the context of repentance. Okay? Happens in the context of repentance. Some of us don't like that word, but I hope that just as we prayed earlier at 9 o'clock, I remember Barry praying because I had just confessed sin and said, I'm not worthy," and I've been checking my heart because I need to call everyone to repentance and I'm like, I need you guys to know this about me. And I remember what Barry said is, God, thank you for the gift. Thank you for the grace of repentance. It is beautiful. And I just felt encouraged by what uh, we, we meditated on from Romans chapter 8. So I, I, I hope that you do begin to appreciate the grace that is repentance. And that there's no condemnation for all who are in Christ. That is still true. But it's also true that the grace God gives us is, in the context often, of repentance. In verse number 36, here in Acts chapter 2, after Peter has gone through Joel and he's talked through a couple of the Psalms and he's hinted back to what was in Samuel, Peter says, God the Father gave all of his titles and all of his authority To Jesus, he fulfilled everything in him, and you crucified him. That all the things that you've been longing for and all the stuff that you want was fulfilled in him, and you killed him. And hearing this, the Bible tells us that they were cut to the heart. More literally, they were cut and pierced in the heart that it deeply penetrated their hearts to the point of conviction. There will be another time in a couple of chapters in Acts chapter 5 where Peter preached a similar message, and here's what he said. He said, uh, you know, God raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree, and God exalted him at the right hand and as Savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And some of your Bible translations right there in Acts chapter 5 and verse 33 also says they were cut to the heart, but it's a totally different word. Without when they were enraged. They became furious that a message with a passion that's so straightforward like this that would come toward them, and their hearts were impenetrable. I don't know how familiar you are with these two sets of language, but the Bible talks about our hearts as stone and as flesh. When you think about a heart of stone, it's impenetrable. If the truth of God's word they come to it, but doesn't it quite pierce in, doesn't cut in. But these, in Acts chapter two, verse thirty-seven, they it says were touched to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do to be saved? Well, what shall we do? Conviction came. They were pierced in the heart. They were cut to the heart. And they said, well, what should we do? What we need to see here, what we should see from understanding this narrative is that repentance and faith are what we're called to. To turn to God. To turn away from sin. To turn away from trusting ourselves. To turn away from uh, selfishness. To turn away from an unbelief or a lack of trust. And to turn toward God. That's what repentance is. It happens in the mind. It happens in the emotions. And it leads to actions. It's your whole life that I'm no longer going this way toward the world and sin and the gratification of my flesh. But I'm headed towards God and pleasing him. And I do that because I have faith that all that stuff really was fulfilled in the Messiah, who I am just being told I'm responsible for crucifying. And you killed him. You put him to death. Repentance towards God. Devotion to Christ by faith. Those are the things that lead to being a devoted church. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, having His gift, experiencing his, his power, forgiving each other the way Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, forgiving each other every day is only going to happen because you experience the forgiveness of God. And you repent and you turn to Him. And this is a gracious invitation. But yeah, I know it is fine. The reality is, though, before we can be this Acts 2.42 church that we may sometimes idolize and idealize, we have to be an Acts 1 to 2.42 church. Before we can be an Acts 2.42 church, we need to be an Acts 1 to 2.42 church. That the first disciples who may just be like some of us who were gathered in that room, about 120 people or so, Acts 1 and 14 says they were together with the women, and guess what? They were devoting themselves. They were devoted, devoted to Christ. They were repentant. Their hearts and their focus and their worship and their exaltation, their enjoyment, what they wanted to do and were excited to do all the time was be with Jesus. We need to be those people first. And the reality is, is that it is challenging. You know what? Warm, fuzzy feelings, don't keep that. They don't leave the resilience. It fades away. Ask anybody who's been married for more than ten minutes. The honeymoon fades; phase, phase, it fades away. It's not just about feeling good or having an experience for a time or for a moment. It's that continual, steadfastly devoting themselves daily and regularly be committed to it in an ongoing manner. And it's not being committed to the things without the God being committed to God, which leads to those things. Here's how I want to land the plan. I want us to do some introspection. Please listen for yourself. Focus in with me and be ready to respond. I think the reason why so many of us can become lethargic in our relationship or devotion to Jesus, to the church, and become haphazard about the faith, somehow some of us or some of our friends we would know, they say, oh, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Somehow, the reason why we could do that, the reason why we could get to a point where we say, no, I profess to believe, but I, I have no desire to practice or behave. The reason why we could get to that spot, oftentimes, is because we miss being touch to heart. For well, a lot of us, it's been a long time since you have been touched on heart. For some of us, it's never happened. I'm not going to be passion or just a profession of faith. It's going to be principle, which is conviction that leads to perseverance and resilience. Pandemic that we just went through, the the, the social unrest, the, the losses of job, losses of loved ones. Those things, those things hurt. They hurt deeply. But it's nothing in comparison. So what you and I really, as we walk with Jesus, may face one day. And it's not going to be because we just feel really good. It's going to be because we believe these things, and we've turned back to that. We've committed ourselves to Him. And so we're calling our churches to be devoted to Christ, we're calling our churches to repentance. Let me ask you some questions. They ask, what must we do to be saved? I think in that question, we have to ask ourselves, what is God calling me? What is God calling us to turn back to him? Maybe it's unbelief, some form of unbelief. I don't quite believe that the Bible is true or that it's God's word. I don't believe that Jesus is the Savior or that he's the only way. I don't believe, I don't believe, I don't believe. Maybe that's what you wrestle with. Or maybe it's some sin that you think is so bad that God could never forgive you for it because you can't even forgive yourself. Or some sin pattern that you feel like you just can't break. It could be unbelief. It could be sin. It could be just ingratitude. God is good, but like it's not really that big of a deal. I don't know why you scream, see. I don't know why you're so passionate about that. Maybe it's lip service or just a shallow commitment. I think you prayed earlier, man, that no one will come here and feel like their job was done because they showed up today. Verse said, we may lack like devotion because we make time for what's important. And Christ is not that big of a deal in your life. Maybe, maybe. Whatever it is, God is calling us to repentance. He's calling us to, 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 to back to himself. It doesn't matter what it is. We can and believe. In the biblical narrative that we just read, the language for that is call on the name of the Lord. Call on the name of the Lord. We all have an opportunity each day, every day to call on the name of the Lord. And that's something that we need to perpetually do. If you feel like, oh well I've repented before and I, you know, I've kind of I've been there. I do want to remind us that repentance is part of our lives and it's an ongoing thing. That repentance and faith, Spurgeon would say, are actually twins. They're born together and they live together for as long as, a person, as long as the man lives in Repentance and faith is something that we do all the time. It's got to be that and all the time. And it just is called on the name of the Lord. So as you think of wherever you may be, is your conscience wounded? Is it something that you do? Is something that you believe or don't believe? Offer it to the wounded Christ. Has your heart been pierced? You, have you been cut to the heart? Is your heart pierced and bleeding? Offer it to the hands that are pierced and bleeding for you. Call on the name of the Lord. The Lord Jesus is merciful, and he is compassionate. That's the character and the nature of God. We can call on the name of the Lord. Jeremiah would say, great is his faithfulness. His mercy and his loving kindness begin afresh each day. It's new every morning. And it's good for a young man to be under discipline, for it causes him to sit apart in silence beneath the Lord's commands to lie face downward in the dust. Then at last there is hope for him. Why then should we, mere humans as we are, murmur and complain whenever we're punished for our sins? No, let us examine ourselves instead and let us repent and turn again to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and our hands to him in heaven. For we have sinned, we have rebelled against the Lord, and he has not forgotten us. I want us to do that even now, that you would lift up your voice, that you would stand from where you even are, and that you would call on the name of the Lord in a heart of repentance. That as the worship team comes back up, we're just going to pray from around the room, and after a moment, I'll say, Jeff, can just close it out. But I do believe that there are some of us who, for the first time, and some of us were, man, it's been a long time since I just said, you know what, God, I haven't been devoted to you. Forgive me for that. And I want you to know that he is faithful and he's just to forgive. There's no condemnation. You should feel free to come to God in all of who you really are and to confess to him and ask him for forgiveness. Who's going to be the first one?